Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Hey, thanks for tuning in. It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, hey, Michael, let's get on the uh, Bill Shatner stuff. Clip number 10, please. To say a word about Blue Origin, uh, they are fabulous. It's back. The only thing I hadn't seen, unfortunately, was the rocket. And and things like that go up and boom in the night. And it's it's a little scary. I got to. Yeah, William Shatner is famously uh, going to be transported up onto the edge of space, I think, in uh, Jeff Bezos' a rocket company vessel, Blue Origin. That's right. Jeffrey Bezos. That's the man. Clip number 11. Tell yeah, you. some people made fun of the way the rocket looks, but I think it's cool. I like it. Well, no, there's nothing to be, uh, you, nothing to, to to make fun of. We're inseminating the uh, the, the space program. That is. Uh, a couple of schoolboys, one who happens to be 90 years old, giggling that the rocket looks like a man's unit. Come on, folks. You we're child. Better, we're better than that, you child. So a great deal of energy and attention paid yesterday by the memo from Merrick Garland, the attorney general, about what the school board association had characterized as domestic terrorism that being fired up parents at school board meetings making threats of physical violence now here at the armstrong and getty show as you know we decry we condemn all threats of and and actual physical violence over politics it's never a good idea it's never justifiable if you lose your head at a school board meeting and threaten a school board member, you're in the wrong. Even if they're pushing critical race theory down your kids' throats, etc. For a couple of reasons. Number one, morally, it's indefensible. Number two, number two, it makes it so easy for the left to portray those of us who don't want that in the schools as dangerous lunatics. And that's what what's happening here. And so what they're trying to do now is cash in on that perception and get the feds... The, the FBI in on putting weight on anybody who protests at school board meetings and intimidating people. And if anybody even raises their voice, they'll say, well, it's getting too close to violence. It's a it's a political weapon they're using against us if we get out of control. Um, here is a uh, report, Mark Meredith, on the Justice Department memo and the reaction to it. 30. The um, Attorney General's memorandum is focused on, on threats, on intimidation. So do you see parents as a threat? I, do you I see don't. parents asking? But Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark says public servants are under attack. She says the Justice Department stands by its recent memo directing the government to do more to protect school board members from what it sees as an escalating threat of violence. The government even wants people to report threats to the FBI's National Threat Operations Center, a group traditionally tasked with monitoring terror threats. See, and that's where it gets weird. And uh, with apologies for the frank language, if, if some guy loses his temper at a school board meeting and says somebody ought to kick your ass, that is absolutely within the purview of local law enforcement. You know, and if he wants to go to the state or whatever... um. The idea that the FBI in Washington, D.C. would respond to that in some way or be involved with that in any way. I mean, 
One fat suburban white guy says I ought to kick your ass to another fat suburban white guy. I mean, it's not like it's a racial thing or a a, a, a constitutional thing, a, a due process thing. This is very strange. It feels like a very heavy hand weighing in where it's not needed. Go ahead, Mike. Next clip. Parents that are fighting back. Parents, including a former journalist turned activist, tell Fox they have no plans to stay quiet. All we want is to protect our kids because we are parents. We are mama bears and papa bears. We are not domestic terrorists. The Alliance Defending Freedom is calling on the Justice Department to back down. It says parents are speaking up because they're fed up with everything from mask mandates to controversial curriculum. The advocacy group writes parents, quote, have the right to express those concerns to elected officials and shouldn't live in fear of government punishment for doing so. I would absolutely agree with that. And finally, a response from that sage from the White House podium, uh, the press room, Jen Psaki. Well, let me unravel this a little bit, because the National School Board Association is not a part of the U.S. government. I'd point you to them. What the Department of Justice said in a letter from the Attorney General is that, quote, threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's core values. That is true. These were threats against public servants, threats against uh, members of the school board. Uh, Regardless of the reasoning, uh, threats and violence against public servants is illegal. That's what he was conveying from the Department of Justice. So Christopher Rufo, who you may be familiar with, he's been at the forefront of confronting and exposing uh, the critical race theory, the uh, social equity justice garbage, whether it's in universities or schools or private corporations, was tweeting like a madman the last couple of days. He mentions Attorney General Merrick Garland has instructed the FBI to mobilize against parents who oppose critical race theory in public schools, citing, quote, threats. The letter follows the National School Board Association's request to classify protests as, quote, domestic terrorism. The Biden administration is rapidly repurposing federal law enforcement to target political opposition. They want to reclassify dissent as disinformation and domestic terrorism, justifying an unprecedented intervention, both directly and in partnership with tech companies. Ah, right. You get Merrick Garland at the Justice Department to tell the tech companies, you've got to deplatform anybody who organizes protests at school boards because there's too much of a chance of terrorism. He mentions neither the Attorney General's memo nor the full Justice Department press release cited any significant credible threats. This is a blatant suppression tactic designed to dissuade citizens from participating in the democratic process at school boards. We must forcefully push back against the suppression of our basic rights and the criminalization of our politics. The Biden administration wants to apply the J6 strategy to every expression of conservative speech and assembly. We must not let them. And then Matt Walsh, a, a strong voice from the right, says leftist activists can come to your house with bullhorns. They can film you in the bathroom. They can loot your business, burn police stations, and the FBI does nothing. But if conservative parents raise their voices at a school board meeting, they're hunted down as terrorists. The law is dead. It's difficult to know sometimes whether these are meaningless and fairly naked gestures to stroke the base or whether it's actually a a policy decision that is going to have impact. Uh, as Chris Russo and or Rufo rather and Matt Walsh were suggesting, we'll have to see because I read Merrick Garland's uh, memo and it's it's pretty wishy washy um, and is full of pr- fancy talk. 
but it doesn't really say what it's going to do. Um, so keep an eye on it. We'll keep an eye on it. We'll follow the story for you. Uh, all I know is that it's become utterly clear in the last several years that um, the left is, uh, is adept at saying, well, that speech is violence. It makes me feel unsafe. We need a safe space. I am threatened by your speech. It is a threat. Your speech is a threat. When speech isn't a threat at all, maybe it's a threat to their power. But, uh, well, this one, in the words of George W. Bush, this will not stand. I guess that was uh, George H.W. Bush, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, at any rate, more to come on this story, guaranteed. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It's so bright in here, Michael. Who can turn down the lights for me? I didn't notice. I walked out of the room. I come back. It's bright. I can't handle the light. I'm, I'm like Stella Dubois from uh, Streetcar Named Desire. I, I don't want people to see me in the light. Uh, uh, see, I like it bright. I'd like to be able to see my bones through my skin. I've, I mean, I've, really bright. Maybe I've, we can compromise. I've aged. My beauty has faded. Please, don't look at me in the light. <laughs> um. So this is interesting from the New York Times. Brett Stevens is their token Republican. I'm using my finger quotes here. Because um, he's uh, like, you know, uh, you know, barely... Uh, on the conservative side, and that counts as their conservative for the New York Times. And they, uh, he used to be at the Wall Street Journal. He went to the New York Times. People quit over it. They were so horrified that he was going to write there. How dare you even represent that point of view? But given what we know about the um, uh, the newsroom at the New York Times in the op-ed section, as people have uh, driven people out of the woke crowd there, the wokesters in the newsroom got the guy who used to to edit the opinion section fired. And so this being in the New York Times is a pretty big deal, I think, that they printed this. Um, An ethically challenged presidency. There should be little doubt that President Biden was not being truthful when days after the Taliban's victory, he told ABC News that his senior military advisors had not urged him to keep 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. The president's claim was flatly contradicted last week in sworn testimony. We all saw that. During the general's testimony, the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki defended her boss by pointing to a line in Biden's interview in which he appeared to suggest that the military advice was split. Another whopper from Biden. What split? As the New York Times' Helen Cooper, Eric Schmidt, and David Sanger reported, right after Lloyd Austin was sworn in as Secretary of Defense in January, he and his top generals were in lockstep. and recommend, This is quote, by the way, from the SecDef. Were in lockstep recommending about 3,000 to 4,500 troops stay in Afghanistan. Asked whether the top military advisors argued otherwise, Saki evaded the question. He's building a case here. Um, this isn't all about Afghanistan. Biden's dissembling regarding the worst executed major foreign policy decision in years would be a scandal in any presidency. It's worse coming from a man who campaigned for office by insisting that he stood for, quote, for honor and telling the truth. A week earlier, Politico's Ben Schreckinger published a scrupulously reported book on the Biden family, And it's amazing how little attention this book has gotten. Hmm. A guy from Politico who's a real reporter, not this Michael Wolf guy who wrote that crap about Trump that he even admitted him. The author admitted himself it was crap. (laughs) Got 
coverage all day long. He was interviewed on every show that exists. Sure. And it was treated like it was Bob Woodward or something. This guy, who's a serious reporter, this Ben Schreckinger, writes a report, uh, a book scrupulously reported, as it says here in the New York Times, on the Biden family. You've never even heard of this book. CNN, MSNBC, you've never even heard of this book. This guy's nothing on there. Anyway, back to the uh, this piece. The book makes a compelling case that some of the most explosive emails from Hunter Biden's purported laptop, laptop were entirely genuine. A claim that Schreckinger confirmed with multiple sources, including a Swedish government agency, and that was never explicitly denied by Hunter himself. That includes a 2017 email in which one of Hunter's potential business parties proposed a provisional agreement. We all know this story with the uh, 10 for Jim, that's Biden's brother, and 10 held by H for the big guy. Jim Biden is the president's brother. The big guy, according to Tony Bobolunsky, Bobolunsky is a recipient of the email, is Hunter's father. Keeping now, in mind that the stations, the channels all did have that letter signed by 22 former CIA guys saying, yes, this looks like Russian misinformation. Boy, the amount of lying these days is amazing. This does not mean the president received or even expected to receive money from a supposed venture or even knew about it. But it provides good reason to believe that the news media gave far too much credence to his assertion that the leaked emails were a Russian plan, as he put it in his second debate with Donald Trump. It makes it more difficult to ignore Bobolinsky's claim that he met with Joe Jim and Hunter Biden on May 2017 to discuss the overall terms of the deal. And it's worth asking whether the president may have been willing to make himself useful to this family, even if he didn't profit personally or directly from their deals. The Bidens pride themselves on integrity and are fond of pledging, my word is a Biden, when they really mean something, Schreckinger writes. When they really mean something, Schreckinger writes, the evidence marshaled in the closing weeks of the campaign built on a picture in which Joe's relatives trade regularly on their connections to him, while the separation between their private dealings and his public duties is not as far and wide as he had claimed. All this would be bad enough if it were just history, but what what are we to make of Hunter's recent venture as a visual artist? A field in which he has no formal training and no commercial track record. In case you missed this, a Soho gallerist intends to sell 15 of Hunter's works at prices up to $500,000 a piece. Right. Not a joke. To safeguard the, the propriety of these transactions, the White House has issued ethics guidelines that are supposed to keep things above board by hiding the identity of the buyers from both Hunter and the White House. And it falls to the gallerist, that is, the person who stands to gain from the commissions, to police the guidelines by rejecting suspiciously lucrative offers. It screams of a scam, writes Brett Stevens in the New York Times. This is pretty strong stuff for the freaking New York Times opinion page. I would say, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. The Treasury Department warned last year that the anonymity of high-value art transactions could make the market attractive to those engaging in illegal financial activities or people subject to U.S. sanctions, the Times wrote in July. In another report of dubious activities... Uh, A person named Schwartz wrote in a Business Insider about emails that indicated that in 2015, while his dad was vice president, Hunter was alleging exploring a $2 million plus success fees deal with two Democratic donors to help recover Libyan assets that had been frozen as a result of U.S. sanctions. We talked about this last week. The effort came to nothing. Hunter's reputation for hard living didn't help, but at least one of the donors was attracted to Hunter's offer because he's the son of number two who has the Libya file. When it comes to opening doors in Washington, Schwartz notes, the illusion of access can be as valuable as hard currency. Some readers may be inclined to dismiss this as merely an indictment of a troubled son. They may ask themselves what conclusions they would draw if this were about, say, Eric Trump. 
Some readers will also think it isn't the president's job to police his adult son, but it is his job to ensure that Hunter and other relatives don't profit by trading on his position in the government. That would be corruption. The president will have to do better than give his word as a Biden to put an end to this. I'd say that is a really strong piece out of the New York Times, given their current politics. Laying out all that stuff that is being treated by the, uh, you know, the lefty cable news channels is all just either, you know, it's tabloid crap or Russian disinformation or Fox News making stuff up. He laid out every single one of the stories. And when it's in the New York Times by one of their own authors, it carries a certain weight. Yeah, and it does get a certain amount of attention, although I doubt this will get more. You know, I just want to say, as a guy, I like art. I look at art. I, I own some art. It's all up and coming. It's inexpensive, but it's it's beautiful stuff by people who don't have a reputation. I just like to look at it. I will tell you this. You can have somebody who's nationally known, extremely well thought of, and difficult to get their art, and you will pay $25,000, $50,000 for a larger work. I mean, if they're super high level. Six figures, and that's like shockingly high. That's a tiny, tiny top of the pyramid in the world of art, okay? Half a million dollars? That's like reserved for people school kids have heard of. I mean, that's crazy. And Joe Biden, or I'm sorry, Hunter Biden's getting that? Something's going on. Yeah, my word is a Biden. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. They said you were urinating on a mailbox. Uh, they're out of their minds. Based on, again, the smell of urine in the area. Public indecency. Yes, that's what urinating in public is. Spoke with your postal supervisors. They want you to continue your route, you know, finish your day. I was just blown away that he was still on the route. I just assumed he would have been taken off of it. He seems pretty combative with everybody who's talked to him about it instead of being apologetic. Well, the good mm. thing is, if you're a if you work for the government, you can urinate in public, and you get to keep your job. Uh, Trying to pull the threads together there, that seemed to be a story about a postal worker who was urinating in public and then was allowed to continue his route. Roadview Heights, Ohio, Joe, a mail carrier. You see, if it had happened like in San Francisco, you couldn't say the smell of urine was in the air because the smell of urine is always in the air. Right. Um, but a mail, probably not usually in Roadview Heights, Ohio, a mail carrier with the United States Postal Service accused of urinating on a mailbox in a condominium is now facing a charge yeah, of public condo. indecency. <laughs> I pictured him out like in the middle of the country somewhere. Uh, several people who live in the condominium say they're concerned the carrier is still delivering their mail. I went to up to him and asked him about it, and he seemed pretty combative. Said old guy who lived at the development. I was just blown away that he's still on the route. I just assumed he would be taken off of it. I don't know what the procedure is for how they discipline employees, but he shouldn't be here anymore. You can't pee on mailboxes at Del Boca Vista. Uh, the actions described in this case are unacceptable employee behavior. The Postal Service neither condones nor tolerates this type of alleged behavior by employee. What? I'm pe- sorry. Do they condone or tolerate peeing publicly? They condone on mailboxes. They tolerate, but don't condone apparently because oh, the guy still see. works there. Hey, yeah. stop peeing on the mail. You've been warned. The Postal Service is currently investigating the matter. Eh, the, my mail's got pee all over it, and I saw him Oof. with his wang out, so I'm uh. just putting two and two together here. Uh. Body camera footage from the Broadview Heights Police Department shows the officer giving the citation to the carrier. The mailman told the officer the allegations are not true. 
and that he'd spilled a bottle of water. Well, you know, I think we almost need to hear that tape again. Does the postman, is his voice in there? He sounds hammered. One more thing here. According to a Broadview Heights police report, a person living in the area said she saw the postal carrier urinating on the mailbox. She confronted him, and he denied the allegation. Confronted him while he's urinating on the mailbox. No, I'm not. But you're just... I did not. No, I didn't. You're lying. She could see his pants unzipped and could smell, still smell the urine. Oy. Okay, let's hear it again now that we know the backstory. They said you were urinating on a mailbox. Oh, they're out of their minds. Based on, again, the smell of urine in the area. Public indecency. Yes, that's what urinating in public is. Spoke with your postal supervisors. They want you to continue your route, you know, finish your day. I was just blown away that he was still on the route. I just assumed he would have been taken off of it. He seems pretty combative with everybody who's talked to him about it instead of being apologetic. Well, you can't be apologetic. That's admitting to guilt. I didn't. Public indecency. That's the best part. So I didn't catch that the first time around. Public indecency. Like he's shocked. Yeah, that's what urinating in public is, (laughs) says the cop. Because it's indecent because of the urine on the mail and your wang being out. There's really a number of reasons it's not There's hardly any part of that that is decent. (laughs) Public indecency. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, Michael. No, it's good that letting him finish his route, though, that day, you know. That's the most important thing, is that nothing happens to the mail delivery. You know, exactly. Neither rain, rain nor sleet nor snow or my own urine will stop Yellow me. Yellow snow included. Um, really, seriously, though, government work, right? i got to believe that if uh, a FedEx employee is urinating on the FedEx box, they don't get to just go ahead and finish their day. Well, now, was he actually, he wasn't peeing into the mailbox, was he? It was like, uh, the, I'm picturing the base of it. You know, in the modern mail, it's all junk mail and flyers I don't need. Yeah, I could urinate on that. I wouldn't miss anything. Well, yeah, I just, I mean, having his wang hanging out there in public with the, with the old ladies looking from the uh, the apartment there, or the condos, I'm, I mean, I'm trying to decide. I mean, obviously, if the guy, like, made an illegal lane change, They'd say, here's your ticket, on your way. And he would continue his route. True. If he murdered a guy... So you're equating no. illegal lane change with urinating on the mail? No, I'm trying to get a sense of where we stand Indecent here on exposure. the old uh, justice scale. So, That's uh, if my he... TV guide! <laughs> if he committed a murder, obviously, they would make him... They wouldn't let him finish his route. The crossword um, puzzle's all soggy. Now... <sighs> And if he, like, punched a guy in the face, I think he'd probably be done for the day. So, uh, evidently, uh, hanging it out and peeing on the mailbox is just one of those, it's a traffic ticket. Indecent, or what is it? Disorder, what what, what was the phrase? It, it comes they said you were urinating on a mailbox. Oh, they're out of their minds. Based on, again, the smell of uh, urine in the area. Public indecency. Public indecency. They're out of their minds. He sounds freaking hammered. I think that's it, and that would explain the urination. It would indeed. Yeah, yeah. Why, why do you have to pee so bad all of a sudden in the middle of the day? You do it You do it in public, and you pee on a mailbox? That sounds to me like somebody's been drinking, yeah, and somebody whose judgment is impaired. So I don't know if he walks his route or drives his route, but you'd think he'd want to get... Well, yeah, you got to get him off the route if he's clearly hammered. He's hammered. That is, you, you solved it. That's exactly... That's what would lead you to pee. And talk like that. He's yeah, out of their minds. He's a day drinker, and uh, I don't know if he's you know driving, sitting on the left side of the of the car. Or... 
Well, that's that's a huge question. I mean, if they let him drive on, that's a scandal. If if, if they just let him waddle on with his mail sack around his shoulder, then <laughs> what do I care? But I haven't seen a, 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 a postal person doing that in ages. Urinating? No, no, carrying the bag about. Everybody's in the uh, the vehicle now. Uh, my old neighborhood. Okay, this is twenty years ago though. But that that's neighborhood, what, we had a post a postal guy who walked around. That's what I'm saying. No, I've got one now. Yeah, no, my you new know? rental. Yeah, I got a walk person that walks around. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, interesting. So, I talk to her every time I see her. Very nice. Yeah, I got she the long is, side of the truck leans out the door type. I don't believe she has urinated on any of my mail. Well, it's more difficult for a gal. It is. And she but probably, not impossible, and a strong modern American woman can do whatever she sets her mind to. <laughs> and where do I get off uh, claiming she's got a gender anyway? So if you come across your male gal urinating on your mailbox, she's got her you know pants around her knees, whatever. Oh, jeez. You, you didn't need to. I, I think you you got to wait till she's done. Otherwise, it's rude. I mean, you can't interrupt somebody midway, although that old gal did. Of course, you know, if she's hammered. I don't know. This country's falling apart. It's, <laughs> we're turning into a third world country. There are a thousand examples of it. The son of the president is peddling art for, for 50 times what it ought to cost and pocketing the money from God knows who, Arab sheikhs or whatever, who now get access. You got urinating mailmen. Yeah, I, you I, got I like, uh, I like Merrick the, Garland going after parents at school board meetings. I like the fact that a drunk mailman in small town Ohio is the tipping point for you. Well, it's just one more sign. It's the sort of thing you see in uh, Venezuela. I mean, there's no uh, uh, no mailbox that remains unurine soaked in, in Venezuela and similar third world asshole countries. And where do they urinate on the mail? Venezuela. Uh-oh. Anyway, 0-2. Exactly. Hello. The country is going straight into the dumper. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Indecent exposure. Public indecent. What are you talking about? That's what urinating in public is. Ah, there are other minds. Take a look at yourself, sir. So you so clearly diagnosed what's going on there. You got a hammered mail carrier. And, you know, I don't care if my mail guy wants to get a buzz on. As long as I get the mail, it's fine. But keep your wang put away, sir. When you're drunk, everywhere's a toilet. If you're even drunker, everything's a bed. <laughs> right. Stop the hammering! Yeah. <laughs> Disgusting. Perhaps some... Well, what? Perhaps, oh, no. We got a cable guy who oh, dropped no. a deuce in a flower bed. <laughs> oh, no. no that's, um, that's out of bounds. <laughs> so we should finish with something... Uh, I don't, something you can to help your life. That that didn't help your life. Any that story there? We need something that will help your life. Either news you can use, or a tidbit of factoids, or something. I mean, that was just that was a, a bad episode for the Armstrong and Getty show. I think. How about this? The contrast between what people tell pollsters and what they do. Pretty good illustration of it. Love that. Armstrong and Getty. How about an app that will send me a notification when someone I don't want to talk to is within 500 feet of me? A large, warm headband that allows you to eat ice cream without getting brain freeze. A bed that's programmed to get really uncomfortable when the morning alarm goes off and only gets comfortable again when it's bedtime. 
the spinny thing on the bottom of deodorant that pushes it up, put that in the bottom of a Pringles can. Yeah. <laughs> the device that would route a phone scammer to another phone scammer so they can have a very confusing conversation with each other. <laughs> yeah. A voice-activated fire alarm that turns off when someone yells, I'm cooking! Barefoot-friendly Legos. There you yeah, go. That's a great invention. I like that one. An alarm, smoke alarm that turns off when you say, I'm cooking. It's just right. the bacon. It's not a big deal. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. And it turns off. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. Fallon had submitted, I, I guess, a request for his viewers to give him ideas of potential inventions. That's pretty good. So this is an interesting story. I'm not trying to argue anything in particular here. Not everything we bring you is opinion, trying to pitch a particular point of view. And this is one example. It's it's about the vaccinations for the, the vid, for adults now. Uh, I was reading with interest in the dispatch there, talking about uh, Andrew Wiggins of the Golden State Warriors, who had, uh, we actually played the tape of him eloquently explaining why he didn't think he needed the vaccine. Number one, he's had COVID already, he has natural immunity, he's got some reservations about possible side effects down the line, it's a new thing, the usual list. Um, and, and he spoke quite persuasively uh, about it. But on September 29th, the NBA announced that unvaccinated players would not be paid for any games they missed. Um, they've not formally mandated the vaccine, and the union rejects such a proposal. But San Francisco and New York have implemented local requirements that apply to the basketball arenas. So refusing the shot would cost Wiggins about half of his salary this year, which is $31.5 million. It's good work if you can get it. Within days, Wiggins got a dose of Johnson Johnson. He says, the only options were to get vaccinated or not play in the NBA. I'm 26. I have two kids. I want more kids. I'm trying to do something that will generate as much money as I can for my kids and my future kids. Generational wealth. So I took the gamble, took the risk, and hopefully I'm good. Which brings him in line with 95% of the league that's gotten the shot. Um, and, and the point of view they're taking in the dispatch is that vaccines are working. And again, I'm not pitching that they should be or, I'm sorry, that vaccine mandates are working. I'm not saying they should be or it's good or whatever. I'm just trying to tell you what's happening. Washington Post ABC News poll released early September found that just 16% of unvaccinated respondents said they would go ahead and get a shot if their employer mandated it. 35% said they'd ask for an exception. 42% claimed they would quit. So that's 77, 93% gave them the middle finger. If those numbers are anything close to accurate, we wrote in September 10, while noting the usual issue polling creates, or caveats, uh, vaccine mandates would be exacerbating a labor shortage that is already hindering the country's economic recovery. As it turns out, it's a lot easier to tell a pollster over the phone that you're going to make a life-changing decision and potentially jeopardize your family's financial security than it is to actually make a life-changing decision, potentially jeopardize your family's financial security. And they go into various statistics... I mean, like United Airlines uh, in August became one of the largest corporations to mandate COVID vaccines. Vaccines, Self-imposed deadline to meet the requirement came and went last week. In the end, out of 67,000 employees, 320 are facing terminations, about half of a percent. Mm. And, I don't and think about 2,000 applied for religious or medical exemption. I don't think it's just lying to pollsters or it's easy to say to pollsters on this one, because there, there's a lot of why is polling so wrong over the last several years? And there is a lot of 
people want to project a certain image to pollsters because they know it's a poll, all that sort of stuff. I'm not sure that's what's going on here because I know a couple of people, well, I won't mention who, but very, very well, who 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 told me wouldn't a pollster just, I'm not getting it. And then they both did uh, pretty quickly when it was going to be a, a difficult situation for their jobs. So it mm-hmm. wasn't, they believed it at the time. It was just the situation got well, more I, real. Yeah, part of it is that this is the the day of uh, hyperbole. Everything's hyperbole. And all they're trying to say is, I don't like the idea of mandates. In fact, I really, really dislike them. And the way you express that is, no way I'm getting that freaking shot. They can fire me. And again, I'm not trying to call them you know, cowards or hypocrites or anything like that. I get it. I understand it. Uh, the United uh, Airlines experience uh, doesn't seem to be unique. Washington Post compiled, compiled some examples last week. Tyson Foods announced a vaccine mandate in early August. Since then, its vaccination rate has gone from 50 to 80 percent. The deadline's still a month away. Um, Houston Methodist's hospital system, one of the earliest case studies this summer, lost 153 employees out of 26,000. That's about half a percent. About 2% received exemptions. North Carolina's hospital system uh, announced Tuesday about 175 of its 35,000 employees, again, roughly half a percent, were fired for refusing the vaccines. So it appears, you know, most people are going ahead and getting the jab. Yeah, I got an alert from my uh, the hospital I'm with that I qualify for the booster now, I guess. Really? I don't, I don't know. I'm an anti Moderna. I'm an anti-tasker on the the booster. I just I'm not feeling compelled enough like I was originally. Unless it's awful damn convenient, or I get some medical information that I really really am vulnerable for some reason, which I don't expect. I doubt that I get the booster. I'm an anti-tasker. Yeah. I got a lot of stuff to do. You do. You're very busy. I you know I think I'm eligible for it sooner or later this month. I think uh, I'll go ahead and get the jab because it's pretty convenient and my kids are grown and far away and, and don't call me. Uh, actually, <laughs> actually, they do call me. Um, so yeah, I'll probably go ahead and get it. I'm not particularly concerned about it, but you know, I'm I'm with the basketball player. Um, I, I think I'm probably going to be fine. I think it's probably safe, but uh, in five years' time, who knows what we find out. So there, there. I'll save this. Never mind. I'll save that for tomorrow. Ran out of time. It's final thoughts, boys. That'll do, boys. Soon we'll hear your comments. Entertain us. Give us closure. <laughs> for the show is nearly done. I like it. Wow. I was afraid there was another verse coming, but uh, I, I liked it. That was really good. Here's your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. Hey, let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew. We press the buttons in the control room. Michelangelo. Michael, final thought? Yeah, I'm enjoying the coffee pot in the uh, workplace, and I'm thinking I'm going to bring in a griddle, possibly, you know, for bacon and pancakes. Somebody could bring in a soft serve machine or a hand, uh, some sort of hot dog cart. We could have an employee restaurant what do you think about that if i bring in a live pig and we just slaughter it right here (laughs) oh gee really really fresh hello oh too much uh young alex is our producer behind the scenes he has a final thought for us alex uh so i don't make any secrets known i am a diehard giants fans but this upcoming giants dodgers series i think dodgers take it in four i think we're up for some good baseball though four wow four games Wow. wow. Oh, troubling, troubling. You don't know what you're talking about. You suck. Cut off his mic. Jack, do you have a final thought for us? So I've mentioned the TV show Squid Game like 10 times this week. It is the number one show in 70 countries right now. 
That's probably all the countries that have television. That's Number one stunning. show in 70 countries right now. I watched episode one last night. They call it a visceral, primal, can't-look-away show. Uh, I'll watch another episode tonight. What'd it's very violent. It? If, you, if you're not willing to watch violent, then don't watch Squid Game. Did you enjoy it? I don't know how you answer that question. I watched one episode. I'm not going to yeah. declare anything after one episode. Critics yeah. do that. It's wrong. Okay. Uh, my final thought, NFL, Major League Baseball, look, your divisions are cute. They're fun. I, I get you got a system. Do like tennis does. The team with the most wins in the playoff plays the team with the least wins. And then the two and three play each other. You can't have the two best teams in the entire game eliminate one of them in the very first round. It's just bad show business. You're a TV show. Be good at it. And a five-game series. Yeah. Well, you almost eliminated the second-best team with one swing of the bat last night. That's crazy. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people, thanks a little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. We got your clicks. We got your swag. You can email us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. We'll see you tomorrow with all the latest, because that's what we do. God bless America. All right, I've just got one final question. Have you been a good little Nazi? We said yes. Yeah, you did. You absolutely did. And it's not. Point of personal privilege. I want winners. You're a loser. Oh, Congressman. What a load of fatuous nonsense. This is the fun part. We are opening the aperture. LGDP, uh, L. GT LBG. It's a little too much donkey dog. These conversations are intrinsically multifaceted. Blah, 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 blah. On that high note, thank you all very much. Armstrong and Getty.